0: Welcome to a new edition of the neon jazz interview series with jazz trombonist and composer audrey ochoa on the 2023 album the head of a mouse she opened up about her fourth album as a band leader surviving covid the future and so much more this project was conceived during one of the most challenging periods in recent history being COVID, because she couldn't perform freely the music from frankenhorn live she dove into this creation got into it and it turned out to be stellar enjoy this story hi there Morning. How are you? Good, how are you?
1: Excellent. Nice to see you again. Me too. Actually, I don't think I saw you the first time. It was just on the phone. Yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, I graduated to Zoom. I went I went all visual, so it's good. Okay. <laughs> well, it's great to catch back up with you. And, you know, from my perspective, it's so good to see musicians releasing material after all of those years of, well, we're woodshedding, we're working on it, it's coming. So it's so good to see all this materialize.
2: Yeah, I, and I think a lot of artists are... This is this is the period everybody's releasing an album. A lot, a lot of the same uh, dialogue around it, too. Stuff yeah. I wrote
1: during the pandemic. So, speaking of the pandemic, how did you get through that three-year period now that things are waking up? How did you survive it? How did it change you?
2: <laughs> That's, <laughs> like, a heavy question.
1: Yeah. Yeah, I'm um, starting off light here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> uh, you know, like, it answered it answered a question I'd had for years, which was, what would I do if I couldn't play? Like, how would I, how would I get along? How would I like, where would I get emotionally? And it wasn't the end of the world. Like I thought it was going to be. And so at the beginning of the pandemic, I was like, when this is all done, I can't wait to play anywhere with anybody for any amount of money. Like I'm just going to get out there and the exact opposite happened. Um, after like this period of nothing, uh, I found myself actually like really getting a little more selective with what I wanted to play. And that certain gigs, I was just like, I don't, I don't have to do this. Like I actually don't enjoy it. And um, so that's like, that's, uh, that was a surprising takeaway of the pandemic was I was like, wow, there are some things I like doing and some things I
1: don't like doing anymore. And I thought I was going to be desperate, but it was, it was, no, yeah. I was not. That's interesting. Cause you know, I've heard several different takes on that. Like musicians that are very well established that have been doing it their whole lives question them themselves being a musician. Is this my lot in life? And then there was others that when they finally started playing and there was thousands of eyeballs on them, they were like, wow, I don't know what to do with this. You know, there was kind of the, you know, there was this, this timeline of things that went into it. But like with everyone, you know, there was this reevaluation a reexamination of your existence. So it makes total sense.
2: Um, Um, one of the gigs I got out of the pandemic was uh, a tour of the US with a musical I'd never done that before and um, yeah that was one it was like a bucket list thing and it's weird because when we were touring through the states like a lot of mask mandates were still in place in a lot of states and like constant testing was a big part of the company and so it was weird because I didn't get to enjoy touring the way I think you would have pre-pandemic or even now because a lot of the regulations are down so it was like it it was like this thing that I'd always wanted to do but sort of sterilized right like sort of muted uh which was like a sign to me playing musicals and touring with other bands is really fun but I really actually want to focus on my own writing and my own compositions and my own recordings It was weird weird totally weird timeline if this had happened if all of this had happened in different years I I probably wouldn't have created this album
1: well, and I guess that's the next question. How much of this was fueled by what we lived through and what, how was this material, you know, a part of that time period? How was it emblematic of it?
2: Like, uh, and I talked to you in March of 2020, I was supposed to release um, my third album in March of 2020. And I, I'd got sort of like a, I'd landed a nice gig at a theater, the Citadel here at Edmonton. And I was able to hire strings and it was going to be this, this, like, new project sort of thing. And it never ended up happening. It all got canceled, uh, which was depressing. Um, but the writing I got into because of that project was just different. It was very, like, chamber orchestra music type thing, uh, salon music with, with strings and, and really more orchestrated, more uh, than, I'd, than I'd ever done before. And then because that's what the headspace I was in for those. I mean, the, we were locked down in Canada, For I want to say. I don't know. A few months. I don't. I, I don't even remember anymore. Like it's a blur. We were. I know. It was, and it's almost been four years. Like yeah, it's wild. Uh, and I've completely forgotten your question. <laughs> how did oh. you feel the project and the writing? Yeah,
1: yeah, About living it? through that. Yeah.
2: <clears throat> I mean, for myself, and I think maybe a lot of jazz musicians, my writing is dependent on who I'm playing with, and is informed by where we're playing and how we're playing. So writing alone was a different experience because I couldn't take it to like a trio gig and try some stuff out or I couldn't, we weren't allowed to practice in each other's homes sort of thing. So the writing was all done at home in my head. So it was really different. And actually I wasn't able to write for, for months because it was like a sad and depressing time. And uh, one of the first tunes I wrote actually, and it's on the album is Miss Lestrassi. And (laughs) around that time when conspiracy theories were like really popping up and Twitter was Twitter was more fun. Yeah,
1: uh, yeah. Was, well put. There, yeah. there was a
2: there was this conspiracy theory that Beyonce was an Italian was actually an Italian American woman named Anna Maria Lestrosi. Like <laughs> I don't even understand this, but <laughs> uh, and one of the one of the albums I was listening to just as like comfort music uh, was her album The Gift, like the uh, the Lion King soundtrack. And so I wrote a song called Miss Lestrassi, you know, my tribute to Beyonce, because that's all I could really listen to at the time. I wasn't into listening to heavy, like to jazz or to anything that sort of reminded me of what I wasn't allowed to do. So, so yeah, how did did it affect me? I listened to a lot of Beyonce and started to write, write comfort music.
1: (laughs) You know, it's interesting. Years ago, somebody I worked with told me that there was this big Tom Petty conspiracy that right before they were going to release their first album, he was in a coma and they found a body double and he never made it out. So this body double has been Tom Petty the whole time. And I'm like, man, how we orchestrate these tall fictitious fables is beyond me.
2: No. And like, that's almost, that one's almost harmless. Right. Cause like there's nothing almost. It's probably offensive if you're Tom Petty. (laughs) Right. Like, but, and, and the same one with the Beyonce Lestrassi one, I was like, I don't know what this is about, but it's kind of ridiculous. So I yeah. have to laugh. There, you there are some more harmful conspiracy theories out there. I'm not trying to take it lightly, but.
1: Right. Yeah. And I think that, that what's interesting about you saying that is, is that during this pandemic, those things were fueled. We were all at home. We have access to every piece of information and it can get orchestrated in sinister ways right beneath yeah. our eyes, you know? Yeah. Um, and it is weird. We did interview in March of 2020. We had no idea what the hell was going on. Like, just totally. Oh, yeah.
2: And I, I think you guys were, maybe, we, it was March. Like, we were a couple weeks maybe into yeah. our lockdown. Still, uh, everything was very confusing. I'd never seen streets that empty before. Like, uh, people were like, oh, just go for a drive. Gas is so cheap right now, a relaxing drive. And I was like, no, it's eerie. I just wanted to stay in my house, which, again, was new when you were, it was a really busy time. I was a, working a lot as a musician, like so anyway,
1: whiplash. Yeah. Well, and but the thing at that time too is I had to make a decision personally as a jazz journalist. What am I gonna do? And I ramped up interviews more than I ever did before. And I talked to people that lived by Times Square and they're like, it's empty. And I'm like, whoa, that's yeah, that's heavy. So it was almost like a Twilight Zone episode. Like, where's the punchline? Where's the everybody's saying cut and everybody come back in the scene. It was very strange. You know, but and and yeah, yeah, it it, Can't believe yeah. it was three years ago. But yes, it, it was very strange. So what are you hoping the listener gets from this particular album?
2: Oh, uh I mean, fun, <laughs> fun and comfort. I like this music was written during a time of self-reflection and and just like curiosity of like is this something that people want or can't do anymore because like I said it was the first concert I did after that time was in a parking lot because we weren't even able to play indoors yet so it was the parking lot of a curling club and it was like I had no idea what to expect it was a weird everything was weird but uh it was like one of the best musical experiences because I was like I'm just playing music that I want to play I'm not trying to prove anything anymore I This is just, I just want this to be fun and I want it to be me. And that's something without this like enforced slowdown. uh, I forgot a little bit that music is supposed to be fun and is supposed to be like personal. And it's really easy to get wrapped up in like, I want to show people chops or I want to prove jazz this and that, or I want to, you know, um, to get out of sales, basically to get out of the idea that I have to market this or you know make it radio friendly or hopefully jazz journalists are into it yeah after after not being allowed to play for like basically a year that just stopped that just stopped being a consideration i was like i just want to play music that i like and that is very like that is authentically me that is super personal so like there's a track on that album where i sang where I, or i sing and um that's something I was always super hesitant to do for a, a number of reasons. One of them being the very first person who ever hired me uh, when I asked him, what should I do on my first gig, my very first jazz gig? I think I'm going to sing some tunes. He's like, oh, no, no, don't sing, or they'll never consider you a trombone player. And that I carried that for like 20 years until, until the pandemic, where I was like, screw it. Like, if I die tomorrow, I, <laughs> I'll probably regret not having recorded that. So... Yeah, that's what I hope they get, that it's like personal and that it's supposed to be fun.
1: How many people you think told Chet Baker don't sing and look what happened, <laughs> right?
2: Yeah, yeah.
1: Kind of that whole idea. Yeah, Um, you know, it's interesting. The thing that I noticed during the pandemic talking to all of the musicians where a lot of people left big cities because it was so expensive and there was a level of uncertainty and I think mm-hmm. there was people that were students that were considering whether or not they wanted to pursue this crap because it was risky and all of the things that go into it. What is your take on the strength of the jazz community now that the world's waking up and getting back to it?
2: The strength of the jazz community. I mean, I, I for myself, it's essential and it always has been. And that's, you know, that period when we couldn't have it, we couldn't experience community cuz cuz like that's the other thing i always knew but this got tested playing music alone or with just musicians practicing sucks <laughs> it is it's useless it's meaningless unless you're actually sharing it with an audience yeah. it's a meaningless activity it has to be like performance is its own is its own thing so that's not going anywhere and it was more reinforced to me it was reinforced to me at that time like when this is all over, the sharing is going to continue and the sharing is essential. The sharing is essential for like my happiness, for like community strengthening for, for all of that. So, I mean, the money thing, <laughs> the money, the sustainability, all of that, that's another story. That's, yeah. and, and I think that's actually like across a lot of different industries. We're having that conversation now about we should actually be allowed to live <laughs> while we do this. Um, yeah. But but in terms of like the actual jazz performance, it's as strong as ever.
1: Yeah, for sure. So speaking of jazz performance, what is your itinerary now that everything's opened up and we're moving forward into the warm months? I'm just
2: being in Canada. Like I'm doing stuff in Edmonton and in Calgary and in Winnipeg. <laughs> I don't know. You probably know vaguely where those places are. Sure. I'm not, I have nothing planned for the States right now right now. Um, But I mean, I'm just going to release it in November. That's the winter, or sorry, in September, going into the winter. So it's really hard to tour. So hopefully, I'm going to try to get some stuff going for the uh, Canadian and the summer jazz festival season with this this new material.
1: So that's the plan. Yeah. So with this new album, how do you feel about your evolution? I mean, obviously, when I talk to you now, you're thinking about the next thing. How are you feeling, you know, kind of in this you know, coming back out into the music phase and another album. How do you feel?
2: Uh, This is my favorite album. This is like, um, and even in the process of making it was like easy. And I think it's supposed to be easy. The songs came really easy, you know, like all of those tunes. And there's 13 of them. They were all written in like a one hour, two hour. I sat down, I started it and it was finished sort of thing. And then the recording process, I mean, there's 13 tracks that was recorded over three and a half days done. So everybody came like everything came together really, really easily. And I think that's a good sign. Yeah. I mean, you don't want a lot of, you want some struggle, you know, like some friction can create like energy or whatever, but the overall really easy, um, great players, Rachel Therrien. She's like one of my favorite trumpet yeah. players. And it's amazing that she was available, yeah. uh, to like come fly up North where I am for those couple of days, just to get some stuff done. And yeah, uh, Everybody's playing is fantastic. The chemistry was really good. And I'm really proud of the writing. Like I'm, I, it's my favorite album.
1: So the head of a mouse is the new album. Where can people get it? the best place and to keep up with you live shows, anything about your world?
2: Uh audiochoa.com And uh, it is released digitally on the 29th of September. Um, where can they get it? Bandcamp, all the places, all the places, but I mean, it'll be, it'll be on YouTube. It'll be, everywhere and then physical copies because uh, I did I did print them because I like them yeah. and I have an artist who like put work into making them and whatever. Uh, that's I mean for those I think you either gonna have to email me personally or contact the label chronograph chronograph records.
1: Okay. Unless Aud- you're in
2: Canada. Which I'll, you'll just see me and you can buy them off the yeah, stage. That's
1: it. That's ideal. Exactly. Audrey, it's so great yeah. to catch up with you in, in different times. So, And it's great to see new material. Yeah. Best of luck with everything. I really appreciate your time
0: again. Thank you. Likewise. Thanks for listening and tuning in to another Neon Jazz interview, where we give you a bit of insight into the finest players and minds in Canada. New York City, Kansas City, and spots all over the globe, giving fans all that jazz. Thanks to Audrey for coming back to Neon Jazz and for a great story. If you want to hear more Neon Jazz interviews, you can find us on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Subscribe to us at YouTube. And for everything Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, enjoy the jazz, my friends.
1: Neon Jazz.